Welcome to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week on the podcast, an expanded genetic alphabet. Scientists hope that new genetic letters created in the lab will endow DNA with new powers. And stick around or skip ahead to our second segment. It's a metal. It's an insulator. It's samarium hexaboride, a mysterious black crystal that somehow behaves like both. First, new letters added to the genetic alphabet by Emily Singer. DNA stores our genetic code in an elegant double helix, but some argue that this elegance is overrated. DNA as a molecule has many things wrong with it, said Stephen Benner, an organic chemist at the Foundation for Applied Molecular Evolution in Florida. Nearly 30 years ago, Benner sketched out better versions of both DNA and its chemical cousin, RNA, adding new letters and other additions that would expand their repertoire of chemical feats. He wondered why these improvements haven't occurred in living creatures. Nature has written the entire language of life using just four chemical letters, G, C, A, and T. Did our genetic code settle on these four nucleotides for a reason? Or was this system one of many possibilities selected by simple chance? Perhaps expanding the code could make it better. Benner's early attempts at synthesizing new chemical letters failed. But with each false start, his team learned more about what makes a good nucleotide and gained a better understanding of the precise molecular details that make DNA and RNA work. The researchers' efforts progressed slowly. They had to design new tools to manipulate the extended alphabet they were building. As Benner said, we have had to recreate for our artificially designed DNA all of the molecular biology that evolution took 4 billion years to create for natural DNA. Now, after decades of work, Benner's team has synthesized artificially enhanced DNA that functions much like ordinary DNA, if not better. In two papers published in the Journal of the American Chemical Society last month, the researchers have shown that two synthetic nucleotides, called P and Z, fit seamlessly into DNA's helical structure, maintaining the natural shape of DNA. Moreover, DNA sequences incorporating these letters can evolve just like traditional DNA, a first for unexpanded genetic alphabet. The new nucleotides even outperform their natural counterparts. When challenged to evolve a segment that selectively binds to cancer cells, DNA sequences using P and Z did better than those without. When you compare the 4-nucleotide and 6-nucleotide alphabet, the 6-nucleotide version seems to have one out, said Andrew Ellington, a biochemist at the University of Texas, Austin, who was not involved in the study. Benner has lofty goals for his synthetic molecules. He wants to create an alternative genetic system in which proteins, intricately folded molecules that perform essential biological functions, are unnecessary. Perhaps, Benner proposes, instead of our standard three-component system of DNA, RNA, and proteins, life on other planets evolved with just two. Better Blueprints for Life The primary job of DNA is to store information. Its sequence of letters contains the blueprints for building proteins. 
Our current four-letter alphabet encodes 20 amino acids, which are strung together to create millions of different proteins. But a six-letter alphabet could encode as many as 216 possible amino acids, and many, many more possible proteins. Why nature stuck with four letters is one of biology's fundamental questions. Computers, after all, use a binary system with just two letters, zeros and ones. Yet two letters probably aren't enough to create the array of biological molecules that make up life. If you have a two-letter code, you limit the number of combinations you get, said Ramana Rayanan Krishnamurti, a chemist at the Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla, California. On the other hand, additional letters could make the system more error-prone. DNA bases come in pairs, G pairs with C and A pairs with T. It's this pairing that endows DNA with the ability to pass along genetic information. With a larger alphabet, each letter has a greater chance of pairing with the wrong partner, and new copies of DNA might harbor more mistakes. If you go past four, it becomes too unwieldy, Krishnamurti said. But perhaps the advantages of a larger alphabet can outweigh the potential drawbacks. Six-letter DNA could densely pack in genetic information, and perhaps six-letter RNA could take over some of the jobs now handled by proteins, which perform most of the work in the cell. Proteins have a much more flexible structure than DNA and RNA, and are capable of folding into an array of complex shapes. A properly folded protein can act as a molecular lock, opening a chamber only for the right key. Or it can act as a catalyst, capturing and bringing together different molecules for chemical reactions. Adding new letters to RNA could give it some of these abilities. Six letters can potentially fold into more different structures than four letters, Ellington said. Back when Benner was sketching out ideas for alternative DNA and RNA, it was this potential that he had in mind. According to the most widely held theory of life's origins, RNA once performed both the information storage job of DNA and the catalytic job of proteins. Benner realized that there are many ways to make RNA a better catalyst. As Benner said, with just these little insights, I was able to write down the structures that are in my notebook as alternatives that would make DNA and RNA better. So the question is, why did life not make these alternatives? One way to find out was to make them ourselves, in the laboratory, and see how they work. It's one thing to design new codes on paper, and quite another to make them work in real biological systems. Other researchers have created their own additions to the genetic code, in one case even incorporating new letters into living bacteria. But these other bases fit together a bit differently from natural ones, stacking on top of each other rather than linking side by side. This can distort the shape of DNA, particularly when a number of these bases cluster together. Benner's PZ pair, however, is designed to mimic natural bases. One of the new papers by Benner's team shows that Z and P are yoked together by the same chemical bond that ties A to T and C to G. This bond is known as the Watson-Crick pairing after the scientists who discovered DNA structure. Millie Georgiadis, a chemist at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, along with Benner and other collaborators, showed that DNA strands that incorporate Z and P retain their proper helical shape if the new letters are strung together or interspersed with natural letters. 
This is very impressive work, said Jack Zostak, a chemist at Harvard University who studies the origin of life but who is not involved in the study. Finding a novel base pair that does not grossly disrupt the double helical structure of DNA has been quite difficult. The team's second paper demonstrates how well the expanded alphabet works. Researchers started with a random library of DNA strands constructed from the expanded alphabet and then selected the strands that were able to bind to liver cancer cells, but not to other cells. Of the 12 successful binders, the best had Z's and P's in their sequences, while the weakest did not. More functionality in the nucleobases has led to greater functionality in nucleic acids themselves, Ellington said. In other words, the new additions appear to improve the alphabet, at least under these conditions. But additional experiments are needed to determine how broadly that's true. It will take more work and more direct comparisons to be sure that a six-letter version generally results in better aptamers, or short DNA strands, than four-letter DNA, Zosak said. For example, it's unclear whether the six-letter alphabet triumphed because it provided more sequence options or because one of the new letters is simply better at binding. Benner wants to expand his genetic alphabet even further, which would enhance its functional repertoire. He's working on creating a 10 or 12 letter system and plans to move the new alphabet into living cells. Benner's and other synthetic molecules have already proved useful in medical and biotech applications, such as diagnostic tests for HIV and other diseases. Indeed, Benner's work helped to found the burgeoning field of synthetic biology, which seeks to build new life in addition to forming useful tools from molecular parts. Why Life's Code is Limited Benner's work and that of other researchers suggests that a larger alphabet has the capacity to enhance DNA's function. So why didn't nature expand its alphabet in the four billion years it has had to work on it? It could be because a large repertoire has potential disadvantages. Some of the structures made possible by a larger alphabet might be of poor quality, with a greater risk of misfolding, Ellington said. Nature was also effectively locked into the system at hand when life began. Once nature made a decision about which molecular structures to place at the core of its molecular biology, it has relatively little opportunity to change those decisions, Benner said. By constructing unnatural systems, we are learning not only about the constraints at the time that life first emerged, but also about constraints that prevent life from searching broadly within the imagination of chemistry. Benner aims to make a thorough search of that chemical space, using his discoveries to make new and improved versions of both DNA and RNA. He wants to make DNA better at storing information and RNA better at catalyzing reactions. He hasn't shown directly that the PZ base pairs do that. But both bases have the potential to help RNA fold into more complex structures, which in turn could make proteins better catalysts. P has a place to add a functional group, a molecular structure that helps folding and is typically found in proteins, and Z has a nitro group, which could aid in molecular binding. In modern cells, RNA acts as an intermediary between DNA and proteins, but Benner ultimately hopes to show that the three biopolymer system, DNA, RNA, and proteins, that exist throughout life on Earth, isn't essential. With better engineered DNA and RNA, he says, perhaps proteins are unnecessary. Indeed, the three biopolymer system may have drawbacks, since information flows only one way, from DNA 
to RNA to proteins. If a DNA mutation produces a more efficient protein, that mutation will spread slowly, as organisms without it eventually die off. What if the more efficient protein could spread some other way, by directly creating new DNA? DNA and RNA can transmit information in both directions. So, a helpful RNA mutation could theoretically be transformed into beneficial DNA. Adaptations could thus lead directly to changes in the genetic code. Benner predicts that a two-biopolymer system would evolve faster than our own three-biopolymer system. If so, this could have implications for life on distant planets. If we find life elsewhere, he said, it would likely have the two-biopolymer system. And now, Paradoxical Crystal Baffles Physicists by Natalie Wolchover. In a deceptively drab black crystal, physicists have stumbled upon a baffling behavior, one that appears to blur the line between the properties of metals in which electrons flow freely and those of insulators in which electrons are effectively stuck in place. The crystal exhibits hallmarks of both simultaneously. This is a big shock, said Suchitra Sebastian, a condensed matter physicist at the University of Cambridge whose findings will appear this month in the journal Science. Insulators and metals are essentially opposite, she said, but somehow it's a material that's both, and it's contrary to everything that we know. The material, a much-studied compound called samarium hexaboride, or SMB6, is an insulator at very low temperatures, meaning it resists the flow of electricity. Its resistance implies that electrons, the building blocks of electric currents, cannot move through the crystal more than an atom's width in any direction. And yet, Sebastian and her collaborators observed electrons traversing orbits millions of atoms in diameter inside the crystal in response to a magnetic field, a mobility that is only expected in materials that conduct electricity. Calling to mind the famous wave-particle duality of quantum mechanics, the new evidence suggests SMB6 might be neither a textbook metal nor an insulator, Sebastian said but something more complicated that we don't know how to imagine. It is just a magnificent paradox, said Jan Zanin, a condensed matter theorist at Leiden University in the Netherlands. On the basis of established wisdoms, this cannot possibly happen, and henceforth completely new physics should be at work. It is too soon to tell what, if anything, this new physics will be good for, but physicists like Victor Galitsky of the University of Maryland College Park say it is well worth the effort to find out. Oftentimes, he said, big discoveries are really puzzling things, like superconductivity. That phenomenon, discovered in 1911, took nearly half a century to understand, and it now generates the world's most powerful magnets, such as those that accelerate particles through the 17-mile tunnel of the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. Theorists have already begun to venture guesses as to what might be going on inside SMB6. One promising approach models the material as a higher-dimensional black hole, but no theory yet captures the whole story. I do not think that there is any remotely credible hypothesis proposed at this moment in time, Zanin said. SMB6 has resisted classification since Soviet scientists first studied its properties in the early 1960s followed by better-known experiments at Bell Labs. Counting up the electrons in the orbital shells that surrounded samarium and boron nuclei indicates that roughly half an electron should be left over on average, per samarium nucleus. 
a fraction because the nuclei have mixed valence, or alternating numbers of orbiting electrons. These conduction electrons should flow through the material like water flowing through a pipe, and thus SMB6 should be a metal. That's the idea people had back when I started working on this problem, around 1975, said Jim Allen, an experimental physicist at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor who has studied SMB6 on and off since then. But while samarium hexaboride does conduct electricity at room temperature, things get strange as it cools. The crystal is what physicists call a strongly correlated material. Its electrons acutely feel one another's effects, causing them to lock together into an emergent collective behavior. Whereas strong correlations in certain superconductors cause the electrical resistance to drop to zero at low temperatures, in the case of SMB6, the electrons seem to gum up when cooled, and the material behaves as an insulator. The effect stems from the 5.5 electrons on average that occupy an uncomfortably tight shell encasing each samarium nucleus. These close-knit electrons mutually repel one another, and that essentially tells the electrons, don't move around, Allen explained. The last half-electron trapped in each of these shells has a complex relationship with its other, freer conducting half. Below minus 223 degrees Celsius, the conduction electrons in SMB6 are thought to hybridize with these trapped electrons forming a new hybrid orbit around the samarium nuclei. Experts initially believed the crystal turns into an insulator because none of the electrons in this hybrid orbit can move. The resistivity shows it's an insulator. Photoemission shows it's a good insulator. Optical absorption shows it's a good insulator. And neutron scattering shows it's an insulator, said Lou Lee, a condensed matter physicist at the University of Michigan, whose experimental group also studies SMB6. But this is no garden-variety insulator. Not only does its insulating behavior arise from strong correlations between its electrons, but in the past five years, mounting evidence has suggested that it is a topological insulator at low temperatures, a material that resists the flow of electricity through its three-dimensional bulk while conducting electricity along its two-dimensional surfaces. Topological insulators have become one of the hottest topics in condensed matter physics since their 2007 discovery because of their potential use in quantum computers and other novel devices. And yet SMB6 does not neatly fit that category either. Early last year, hoping to add to the evidence that SMB6 is a topological insulator, Sebastian and her student, Bang Tan, visited the National High Magnetic Field Laboratory, or MAGLAB, at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, and attempted to measure wave-like undulations called quantum oscillations in the electrical resistance of their crystal samples. The rate of quantum oscillating, and how they vary as the sample is rotated, can be used to map out the Fermi surface of the crystal, a signature property which is sort of the geometry of how the electrons flow through the material, Sebastian explained. Sebastian and Tan didn't see any quantum oscillations in New Mexico, however. Scrambling to salvage Tan's doctoral project, they measured a less interesting property instead. And to check these results, book time at another MAGLAB location in Tallahassee, Florida. In Florida, Sebastian and Tan noticed that their measurement probe had an extra slot with a diving board-style cantilever on it which could be used to measure quantum oscillations in the magnetization of their crystals. After failing to see quantum oscillations in the electrical resistance, they hadn't planned on looking for them in a different material property. But why not? I was thinking, fine, 
Let's take a sample on it, Sebastian said. They cooled down their samples, turned on the magnetic field, and started measuring. Suddenly, they realized the signal coming from the diving board was oscillating. We were like, wait, what? She said. In that experiment and subsequent ones at MagLab, they measured quantum oscillations deep in the interior of their crystal samples. The data translated into a huge three-dimensional Fermi surface, representing electrons circulating throughout the material in the presence of the magnetic field, as conduction electrons do in a metal. Judging by its Fermi surface, electrons in the interior of SMB6 travel one million times farther than its electrical resistance would suggest is possible. The Fermi surface is like that in copper. It's like that in silver. It's like that in gold, said Lee, whose group reported surface-level quantum oscillations in science in December. And they're not just metals. These are very good metals. Somehow, at low temperatures and in the presence of a magnetic field, the strongly correlated electrons in SMB6 can move like those in the most conductive metals, even though they cannot conduct electricity. But how can the crystal behave like both a metal and an insulator? Contamination of the samples might seem likely, if not for another surprising discovery. Not only did Sebastian, Tan, and their collaborators find quantum oscillations in an insulator, but the form of the oscillations, namely how quickly they grew in amplitude as the temperature decreased, greatly diverged from the predictions of a universal formula for conventional metals. Every metal ever tested has conformed to this Lifshitz-Kosevich formula, named for Arnold Kosevich and Evgeny Lifshitz, suggesting that the quantum oscillations in SMB6 come from an entirely new physical phenomenon. If it were coming from something trivial, like inclusions of some other materials, it would have followed the Lifshitz-Kosevich formula, Galitsky said. So I think it's a real effect. Amazingly, the observed deviation from the Lifshitz-Kosevich formula was presaged in 2010 by Sean Hartnell and Diego Hoffman, both then at Harvard University, in a paper that recast strongly correlated materials as higher-dimensional black holes, those infinitely steep curves in space-time predicted by Albert Einstein. In their paper, Hartnell and Hoffman investigated the effect of strong correlations in metals by calculating corresponding properties of their simpler black hole model, specifically how long an electron could orbit the black hole before falling in. I had calculated what would replace this Lifshitz-Kosevich formula in more exotic metals, said Hartnell, who is now at Stanford University. And indeed, it seems that the form Sebastian has found can be matched with this formula that I derived. This general Lifshitz-Kosevich formula holds for a class of metal-like states of matter that includes conventional metals, Hartnell says. But even if SMB6 is another member of this generalized metal class, this still does not explain why it acts as an insulator. Other theorists are attempting to model the material with more traditional mathematical machinery. Some say its electrons may be rapidly vacillating between insulating and conducting states in some novel quantum fashion. Theorists are busy theorizing, and Lee and his collaborators are preparing to try and replicate Sebastian's results with their own samples of SMB6. The chance discovery in Florida was only the first step. Now, to resolve the paradox. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast, with music by Poddington Bear. I'm Leah Alfonso. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.